what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr john Rand, joe johnson john Rask, of course we've got jays we got him for days josh Eichmann. did you see this exhilarating opportunity we have to try out for a college basketball team right down the street i did not please inform me if you wanted to go enroll in some graduate programs at IUPUI, they're hosting open tryouts. Man, do you know it's been oh, it's been almost two years since IUPUI beat a Division One college basketball team? Yeah, the last Division One team they beat was Youngstown State in February of 2020. So pre the pandemic has lasted a shorter amount of time than IUPUI's D1 losing streak. That's tough. And it's tough because it's not like, I mean, to call the Horizon an elite conference would be an exaggeration for sure. But at the same time, it's not like the Horizon is just completely. They're not, there are some competent basketball programs in the Horizon. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so my point being is that there are going to be years where there are just like some good teams at the top of the horizon and yeah, they are, they are truly, they're truly horrendous. I believe they are, they are, they are last at Kempom right now at one. Are they? Ooey pooey 358 in the country at Kempom. They are 358th in offensive efficiency, but don't worry. They lock down on defense. They're 335th in defensive efficiency. That is, that is really that's tough but okay let's strap on the the laces how what what do you think the percentage chance of making IUPUI's basketball team is for us yeah or in general people who try out let me put it this way how good of a player do you need to be to make IUPUI's basketball team even if you're just a like we need somebody to play defense in five on five on practice. And, yeah, right, the last guy on the bench. Right. See, I, I'm very much of the belief that we don't give whether it's the the jump from prof- high school to college or college to professional that we don't give the players playing at that level enough credit. Sure, you're probably. Well, I'm right. going to say it's higher than people think. Can. Okay. You know, I'm having a hard time, you know, quantifying like an example. Yeah, this is kind of unprecedented, at least to a certain extent. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember when Butler had an open tryout for like because they because they had multiple guard injuries and then Campbell Donovan tore his ACL. So they needed somebody to basically guard Kamar in practice because Campbell was the guy who was usually guarding Kamar. So they needed another body. We were there for it. I mean, we didn't try oh, out. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because our friend Drew Favica did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I could see something like, for example, you know, Butler had a guy named Trey Pettis who came from the club team and was a member. I could see something like that where a, a club, I guess that's how I'll answer, a club player or, a, you know, North Carolina has a JV team, if I understand correctly. Uh-huh. I could see something like that where somebody, those kind of players could potentially hop on IUPUI's roster. Obviously, they wouldn't be transferring just to do that, but that kind of to put some kind of comparison in there. Sure. So, a quality club basketball player at a university could probably play an IUPUI's team. I think that's yeah. probably, I think that's a decent comparison. I've yeah, definitely played against people, at, you know, playing pickup basketball at the, the Butler Student Center. I've definitely played guys there that could succeed in a tryout for IUPUI. Yeah, Absolutely. at least look like they somewhat belong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to try out. <laughs> I, I know you're on the edge of your seat trying to figure that out. Um, Just wanted to, wanted to bring it to your attention. Well, I appreciate this. Yes, IUPUI's only win this year is to a team with the name Spalding. That's the team name, Spalding. They lost to a basketball, Josh. They lost to a basketball. <laughs> You know what's really sad? You know, you, you let's let's talk about this for a second. Are you ready for this? 
in their first five games of the season. Now nah, we'll go further than that. They've only lost to like a handful of teams by less than 10 points this year. And our beloved Butler Bulldogs are one of them. They only lost to Butler by nine points. Yeah. And in, in IUPUI slash Butler's defense, I do believe that they have been just decimated roster wise as the season is going on. Yes. That they've been nowhere close to full strength. I'm not going to pretend like I follow IEPY closely, but I believe that is the case. So there, that's also probably part of why of there's an open tryout. There's also nobody from the state of Indiana playing meaningful minutes for IEPY's basketball team. How wild mm. is that? That is quite something. That is wild. Anyways, shouts to IEPY. This is the only podcast in the last four years that has talked about IEPY. I feel incredibly confident. <laughs> Other than a Butler podcast, because I'm sure that we talked yes. about IUPUI once upon a time on our Butler Absolutely. podcast once, but when Butler played them. But outside of those two establishments, IUPUI and Butler, nobody's talked about IUPUI. <laughs> and uh, and I, I feel honored. Anyways. Wish them all the best. There were bigger basketball games, more important basketball games, better basketball games than I than IUPUI's 66-49 loss to Robert Morris on Saturday and their 61-55 loss to Youngstown State on February 3rd. So we'll talk about they're projected to go two and twenty-five, even though they are projected to lose all of the rest of their games. So Ken Pomeroy giving them a slight chance. They have a, a slight chance to uh to get a win here in the next month or so anyways there are bigger basketball games there are more important basketball games and just frankly more relevant basketball teams playing games this week so it's technically a tuesday it's not technically a tuesday it is a tuesday (laughs) instead of a monday but nonetheless the first pot of the week so mr doring start where we always do winners and losers who is your winner this week fighting a line hi okay that's a pretty good winner Tell me why. Nice combination of things here. First, you beat Wisconsin by 13. Then you went at Indiana by 17, something Purdue didn't do. Kofi Coburn returned from his concussion in the previous game where they hung out against Northwestern. So he's played three Mm -hmm. games now. In those three games, he has 76 points and 29 rebounds. He looks pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Andre Corbello is now back working himself sort of into playing shape and getting back into the rhythm of things. On top of that, yeah, Michigan State had some troubles at the rack. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden. The here's... troubles at the rack, that's what you're going with? <laughs> troubles? Man. I feel like the score was deceptively bad because they just fell off the face of the earth in the last 10 or so minutes. It was a competitive basketball game for a while. Josh, there's no such thing as a competitive basketball game that the other team <laughs> lost by 20. I'm sorry. It might have been. I would. I would argue that it was was. deceptively competitive. I would argue that it was deceptively competitive, not deceptively. (laughs) um, Not that the twenty-point score was deceptively. That was misleading you. Anyway, maybe maybe that's fair. I would not classify it (laughs) as somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, I would just say it was competitive for a while. Sure. I think it was a two-point game at halftime or something. Mm -hmm. But. So that also happened, which means Illinois is sitting here alone in first place in the Big Ten, in the loss column at least, with Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan State, and Ohio State all one game back with three losses. So part of this is, okay, even if Purdue beats Illinois tonight, yes, Purdue obviously would then have the tiebreaker, but Illinois has – through the series of events this week and getting these two wins guaranteed themselves that if, even if they lose that game, they are still in control of whether they have at least a share of the big 10 title or not. And obviously if they win the rest of their games, lose to Purdue and Purdue slips up and everybody else has one more loss, they're going to win it outright. Still now they've got difficult games left. We'll see how tonight goes, but they are sitting here still in control, regardless of whether they win this game at Mackey or not. Imagine where this team would be if they had their full roster available all season. We, we've talked about this at, at stretches, but their ranking and their, their record is deceptive, speaking of deceptive things, because they just haven't been able to 
put everybody on the floor for a while and actually figure out how they want to do things when everybody's available because somebody's always been missing. So I just want to take a minute to recognize the job Brad Underwood is doing because these guys are really, really good. And I still believe the best team in the Big Ten, even if it doesn't end up that way, come seeding for the Big Ten term. Yeah. I suppose, right, that it's it's truly unfortunate that they haven't been healthy. Because they wouldn't have lost to Maryland if they were healthy. There's no way. Probably not. It's unfortunate, though, because they're going to lose to Purdue tonight, and Purdue's going to go on to win the Big Ten because I've stood by the Boilermakers the entire big – don't, Matt Painter, do not forget that Josh Josh left you. He left me and you on an island, and he went and he took a boat over to Champaign. Don't forget. I burned that boat. I'm not turning back. Wow, he burned the bridge. He doesn't even miss you, Matt Painter. He doesn't even miss you. Truly unfortunate, uh, but in in all seriousness, yeah, they keep because at the end of the day, they've apart from that Maryland loss, have basically won the games that they're supposed to, mm-hmm. which is, and they've got right. It's not like the, the it's not like this is um, the tough parts of their schedule are gone. They still play Purdue. Michigan State and Ohio State in the next, you know, two weeks. So it's not like it's over by any stretch of the imagination, but they're probably the only team, right? If they were healthy, they probably don't lose the only game that they lost that they probably shouldn't lost, shouldn't have lost. And to be fair, Purdue has done that to a certain extent as well, right? They have a loss that Illinois doesn't have, which is at IU. But other than that... Um, and if they were healthy and they won the first Purdue game, what are we talking about then? Yes, but they weren't healthy and they didn't win yeah, the first right. Purdue game. My point is just, I love this team ceiling. That's all. I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm, that's that's what I'm getting at here. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. My winner is Arizona. Yeah, they had a good week. Arizona this week beat UCLA. Well, we had all these games that you accurately were pointing out that these were going to decide the Pac-12. Unless Arizona, <laughs> unless Arizona really messes up, the Pac-12 is over. Yeah. Are you ready for the rest of Arizona's schedule? Here, here it goes. Okay. They play one currently ranked team left. They have one game against a currently ranked team remaining on their schedule. Here's, here, here's how it goes. Washington State, Washington, Oregon State, Oregon, Utah, Colorado at USC on March 1st, Stanford, Colorado, uh, California, both at home to finish the season. They're now 10 and 1 in conference. And this week they beat UCLA, they beat USC, and they beat Arizona State. Oh, and by the by, guess who lost to Arizona State this week? <laughs> UCLA, who all UCLA. Of a can't score. So now all of a sudden, Arizona's 10 and 1. 20 and two overall, but 10 and one in the conference. They've already played UCLA twice. They beat USC at home. Now they still have to go there, but unless they do something really misguided and something that we haven't seen from Tommy Lloyd's team yet, because if there's anything we haven't seen from Tommy Lloyd's team, it's that they haven't lost to anybody at home and they haven't lost to anybody that it's not reasonable that they would lose to them. But their losses are a four-point loss to Tennessee. Granted, they got smacked in the mouth early there. And then they got they sort of got handled at Poly Pavilion. But the point being is that Tommy Lloyd's team, regardless of how you feel about their ceiling and regardless of how you might feel about them being, you know, a top two seed with this era of Arizona basketball for the first time and their ability to win, you know, four to six games in the tournament, what they haven't done so far is lose to teams that they're not supposed to lose to. Um, so it was a really good week for Arizona on the court themselves. And then UCLA, and then you add, you know, the icing on top, which is that UCLA inexplicably losing to, to Arizona state in a game where they only managed to score 84 points in 55 minutes of basketball. So yeah, they can't score. Arizona is my winner on this particular Tuesday. And you were right. You were absolutely right with the, with the, how important these games were going to be because it 
and, and maybe something will change. Maybe Arizona goes on a two game losing streak in Washington. Who knows? But the, the point being is that you were absolutely right because now it looks like with the way Arizona has played the season that UCLA and Oregon, the two teams that are closest and they're a full two games back of Arizona uh, that they have a really, really, really tough hill to climb. And they're going to need some help from, from Tommy Lloyd and his wildcats. And Arizona doesn't play competitive games against teams. They're significantly better than even, even last night I saw the score and went, Oh, Arizona state's hanging in there. And then I went to check because I was watching I guess the Kansas game, I think it all blurs together, but I went to check mm-hmm. during halftime of the Kansas game. I, I believe that's what it was. And they were up 20. I went, Oh, well, look at that. Well, and the only reason it was competitive to start is because the, at the beginning of the game, Arizona state was up 14 to one. Yeah. That's the only just, reason it was yeah. ever competitive. Right. And then they, they still managed to win them being Arizona. They still managed to win the first half. They won the first half yeah. by four. Yeah. And they spotted them 13 in the first six minutes or whatever yeah. it was. The, the two teams, and I've given Auburn credit for this, and Arizona deserves credit as well, that have been most consistent showing up every night are those two. And the only counter I can come up with is if UCLA – sorry, not UCLA. If USC could have hit a three-pointer, they very well might have won that game. They were 7 of 30. And Boogie Ellis hit two on back-to-back possessions to make that look better than it was. USC played really, really well. They controlled the tempo. That game was played on their terms. I came away immensely impressed. Benedict Matherin had eight points. He took 10 shots, and it still wasn't enough to beat Arizona. Granted, Arizona was at home, and you talked about how good they've been at home all year. But even with all of that going wrong, they still found a way to beat a very good USC team, which is the way you can flip that. Mm-hmm. I This series of events very much sold me on Arizona. I don't have, I have questions about whether they can win a national championship. I have no questions about whether they're a top five team in the country. There's no doubt in my mind. The other thing that I absolutely love about them is I can only think of two other teams in the top five conversation. And by top five conversation, I mean sort of top 10 teams in the country who know they're going to get a significant impact from their bench every time they take the court. Those two teams are Purdue and Kentucky. And Kentucky to a certain extent. It's not quite the same, right? But Purdue, you've got Travion Williams. Purdue's going to get production off the bench all the time. Arizona only plays eight guys. But Pell Larson, Umar Balo, and Justin Kyer, whether it's Kyer hitting a couple threes and making a couple plays defensively, Pell Larson just doing Pell Larson things, or Umar Balo looking like the best player on the floor for five-minute stretches, at least one of them makes a significant impact in every single game in some way, shape, or form. And we can talk about some of these other teams that don't get a lot of help off their bench. Mm-hmm. See Duke and Kansas. Arizona doesn't have that problem. Their five starters right. are really good, and their next three guys are excellent too. They have eight starters. Yeah. Not they a bad are, place to be. Yeah. They are very, very good. I will – I will swallow my pride a little bit on this one. They are, they are better than I thought they were. I still thought USC played a really good game, but at the end of the day, it's, it, it wasn't enough, and it's not like Benedict Matherin was the best player on the court and just did everything. That was a right. – I still hold my major concern about – I just don't feel like there's a second guy who can take over a game for 10, 20 minutes – if Matherin has a bad outing, but they just do it by committee. You get Tubelis to put up the numbers. You get Daylon Terry to mess around and almost have a triple double. You get the bench production. Coloco does his thing. And all of a sudden it's still enough to beat USC. Right. Yeah. Who's your loser? Uh, Florida state. <laughs> Tell me why. Lost to Clemson, lost to Florida State. Sorry, not Florida State, Wake Forest. So Florida State's now lost four in a row. They haven't scored more than 72 points in any of their last five ACC games. Ouch. And basically just went from the top of the ACC to playing themselves out of the NCAA tournament. Now they're right there on the bubble. They haven't totally played themselves out yet, but if the tournament started tomorrow, I don't think they're in. It just It's been a very... They were bad, and then they were really good, 
and now they're really bad again. And we talk about the stakes of, of the tournament and sort of how this all plays into that context. And I didn't have to think too hard about this one because there are some other, there are some other good candidates out there, but nobody has sort of just completely fallen off the face of the earth from an NCAA tournament perspective, the way Florida state has. Yep. Uh, how about I show how about I raise you one and this team hasn't fallen off the earth of the NCAA tournament race, but uh, how about I show you a team that has fallen from like, is this team a top 10 team in the country <laughs> yeah. into a team that is four and six in the sec and has lost six of their last seven games. Uh, that's the LSU daggers. That is specifically why I praised what I phrased my comment the way I did. They've lost three straight to TCU. Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. And they've, they went from like literally three weeks ago, we were having a conversation about LSU and Auburn racing for a SEC title. Like that's like, at least right. We both had our reservations about, okay, is LSU like when they get into the meat of their SEC schedule, how are they going to fare? But two weeks ago, maybe not, maybe a little less than two weeks ago. Hold on. Let me check the date. A month ago, four weeks ago, this team beat Kentucky and Tennessee in back-to-back games. Yeah, they were fair and just fine at the beginning. And if we're making a list of teams to win a national championship, there aren't a whole lot of teams you're going to name before you name Kentucky right now. And LSU beat them a month ago. And they were in the the midst of, right, they, they lost to Auburn. They lost by 15, but they got outscored by 15 in like the first seven minutes of the game. So it was like, the for 30 minutes it was a pretty competitive basketball game after they spotted them now auburn was clearly the better team but the point is that for most of that game they looked like they belonged on the floor with them and then they went on a three-game win streak with a you know capped off by a win at florida and they won one game since at home to texas a&m and this week in particular they lost to tcu ole miss and vanderbilt I don't think I need to what I need to do is is stop slandering Vanderbilt maybe as much as I am accustomed to. Yeah. Right. They're 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 12 and 10 and four and six in conference. And, they are fine. And on my quick Ken Palm search for Vanderbilt, they're 81st at Ken Palm, but like yeah. they certainly I'm not gonna go all the way to the Vanderbilt Commodores deserve my respect yet, but they certainly deserve to not be spoken about in the way that I've just grown accustomed to speaking about them as a team that, you know, over the last handful of years, you know, last year it was nine and 16 and three and 13 in conference the year before that it was 11 and 21 and three and 15 in conference the year before that it was nine and 23 and zero and 18. Yeah, I was going to say they had a year where they didn't so, win an SEC so, game, right? Yeah. So, and then, you know, the year before that was six and 12 in conference. So they're well on their way to winning, winning more conference games than they have in the last five years. They're four and six right now. Certainly not a great team. Certainly like I'm not even willing to go at a good team, but they are a team that is certainly Jerry Stackhouse deserves credit for moving that program in the right direction. Scotty Pippen jr. Is good basketball player anyway. So side note to, um, to undo my ricochet shot uh, of the Commodores. But the point still stands that uh, LSU went from, man, LSU, you know, top 10 at Kempom. At one point, LSU was high, and they're still 16th at Kempom, which is wild to me. <laughs> that defense. Wild. It's because their defense, right? Uh, they're, they have a sub-100 def- uh, offensive team. Also, the, the, the Boilermakers, first at Kempom in a, a offensive efficiency, 107th. Oh, hello, Iowa. Um, that was disrespectful. Wow. That was disrespectful. Just... Anyways, but last year, I mean, last year, Iowa was was third at Kim Palm in offensive efficiency and 75th in defense efficiency. So it's in the same ballpark anyways. The LSU Tigers, seventh in the SEC. Seventh. Seventh. In the SEC, they're my loser after another just truly horrendous week. Yeah, they're one of those teams that if they can figure it out again, I want no part of them come the NCAA tournament because they're not going to be a great seed because they've been bad for a while now. (laughs) 
but they also need to make sure they win enough games to get in. <laughs> if this keeps spiraling. Yeah. It, that was the other team that came to mind. We've, we've made him the loser before deservingly. So certainly a valid selection again, they that is part of the danger when you're so reliant on defense and you're so bad offensively is if you don't have a great defensive night, you're in trouble and there aren't too many horrendously bad teams in the SEC. So they, there you can, go. they can get you at any night. You're not playing up to par. That's winners and losers. Teams that put themselves in good positions like Arizona and Illinois teams that put themselves in bad positions like Florida State, like LSU, like IUPUI. Sorry, IUPUI. Jaguars. We'll do that every Monday through the NCAA tur- through the beginning of the NCAA tournament when it's quite obvious who the winners and the losers are once you get to a single elimination tournament. Anywho, let's get to some of the games this weekend. Mr. Doring, do you want to start in the ACC or do you want to start in the Big 12? Let's start in the ACC. Okay. You know, here's where we're going to start, and then we can get to what happened, what's happened to Duke in the last 72 hours. If Duke doesn't win this conference outright, <laughs> it, is, it is, make no mistake, it is embarrassing. Truly embarrassing. There was one truly good team in this conference. One. I'm not sold on Notre Dame. I'm not sold on Wake Forest. Then you get to Miami. I told you Notre Dame was coming. Okay. But like, but this is my point. Notre freaking Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a loss to Boston College this year by 16. They had a they had a stretch where they were not a good basketball team. (laughs) Yeah. They started the season three and three. I'm super good. They've they they have lost to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has no quad one wins this year. Zero. Along with North Carolina, by the way, which is yep. freaking shocking. But this is why, like the at the end of the day, I'm not shocked that Duke lost last night at home to Virginia because this is what Duke has started to do. And this has been a thing for the last six, seven years. It doesn't matter how good that team is. They keep they they have three losses in conference play to Miami, the team that you just chose as they've lost what Florida State six straight is that what you said? No, four straight. The win came against Miami before that. <laughs> so Miami, Florida State, and at home to Virginia. Virginia, by the way, first of all, watch Virginia come find a way to yep. win this conference. <laughs> LOL. But this is a Virginia team that has a loss to Navy this year. That has a loss to James Madison University this year. That has lost to UNC. And NC State. NC State is 3-10 and 10 in conference. One of their wins is against a team that just beat Duke at Cameron Indoor. It will be absolutely embarrassing if Duke doesn't win this conference outright. I would argue it's already embarrassing that 12 games in that they're not clearly the team that's going to win. But now that I'm done ranting about the Blue Devils, let's start, or you can respond to that. Um, do you have any initial gut check reactions before we talk about really the shellacking that they put on UNC on Saturday? No, I mean, I'm pretty much there with you. That that was the only thought I had at, with this Virginia game was, yep, here's Duke doing what Duke does. It Part of this is... It's just hard when you're so reliant on freshmen. They're going to have bad days. They're going to make mistakes. They don't necessarily understand how to play with the target on their back all the time, which particularly this year when it became very clear, there's one elite team in this conference. And of course you're Duke anyway. So you're going to get everybody's best shot because everybody wants to beat Duke. And so you get, Situations like what happened against Virginia right after demolishing North Carolina. I was ready to come on here and talk about this new problem that Duke is presenting to teams, which is how in the world do you, do you guard, guard AJ Griffin? Do you guard two power forwards who have no problem guarding your perimeter players? Mm. Right? Yeah. They are very tall, athletic human beings. 
who you can't put small guys on and you can't put big guys on. But they also are more than capable of guarding a 6'6 guy. And then what happens? Virginia finds a way to guard them, specifically because Duke went from a 36-26 points in the paint advantage against North Carolina to a 52-28 deficit in the Virginia game. Mm. Which goes to the larger point here, which was the only reason North Carolina was had a chance in this game was A, Brady Manick was shooting the whites out, but B, Paulo decided that Leaky Black was going to guard him for about five minutes there, and so North Carolina cut the deficit yeah. to, I think it was 11. And then he decided, oh, wait. Oh, right, it's I'm, Leaky Black. Right, who's a very good defender, but is nowhere near tall enough or strong enough to guard Paulo. So he went, to, he went down low, and the game was over again. Duke scored, I think it was the first 10 points in the second half, and that was that. Right. If they do that, and A.J. Griffin had a terrible shooting night, which was bound to happen. I mean, he was shooting 50-something right. percent from three. He was yeah. the only player in the country shooting the ball at the clip. He, in the Power Five Conference, I should say, shooting the ball the way yeah. he was. That's not a concern. But if they don't take advantage of this massive mismatch that they have, things like this are going to be able to happen. Because sometimes Paulo just settles and is happy to play on the perimeter. And that's when Leaky Black or other players, Virginia has plenty of them in that same mold, can guard you. Yeah. You have to pound that mismatch. And they didn't do it against Virginia. And then they just didn't guard Reese Beckman after he inbounded the ball. So he was wide open. And then Paulo followed him and they didn't call it. Should have gotten right. a free throw to go with the three-pointer that ended up winning the game. How was he that wide open? He just inbounded the ball and they didn't cover him. And he then just, just stepped right. He just ran out the yeah. What is Jeremy Roach doing? He's like guarding. Did you see what he's doing on that play? He's like not... bumping with the guy on the block. It's ridiculous. Mark yeah. Williams is right behind him. He's he's kind of like, dude, Jeremy, what are you doing, dog? Yeah. This is that's Duke in a nutshell. Guard the inbound guy. This is like this is like basket. This is inbounds defense 101. Don't lose the guy who passes the ball in. And don't let somebody cut to the basket. Yeah. And and also just like don't, you know, give up a three when you're up two. Right. If they tie it, then like okay, like there are worse things that could happen. Like them knocking down a three. <laughs> and the funny part was, you know how many what how many threes Virginia had made leading up to that? One. Yeah, exactly. One. And so and so they, I think Armand Franklin made one in like 2011. <laughs> right. And so I think Casey Alexander was the, the color analyst. And he was saying, you know, the way they're shooting the ball, I, I'm going to go to the basket. I don't want to take the chance from three. And I'm thinking, you're playing a camera indoor. And you're this. You have to win this game right now. Right. You have to win this game right now. <laughs> I don't, you could be 0 17. Take the three, especially unless, of course, don't force it. But when you get that shot, take it. Absolutely. All day. <laughs> I don't care what the numbers say. And it is. And like, it, it, here we are with, I mean, this is a Duke team that now that's, that has wins over Kentucky. that has wins over Gonzaga that has, that's shown the door to UNC. The other thing is that like, they have just no impressive wins in conference because there are no impressive wins to be had in <laughs> to conference. Be had. And, right. They didn't beat Miami. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, now they, 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 they beat Notre, over Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. They did beat Notre Dame. At, at Notre Dame, but they only had Notre Dame on the schedule once, unless I'm missing something. No, they had it postponed and they made it up. But yeah, yeah, this is, and it's not like, I mean, they did this against Clemson too. They just happened to win that one. We're, we're like three points away from Duke, not even being tied for first in this conference. It's embarrassing. Truly. And this is the, this will be my fear. And we'll get more into this when we start looking at brackets and making predictions. Sure. They can beat anybody on the country on their day. And they, there'll be times they look like the number one team in the nation. And, and could, if you told me that for three weeks, it was their day for three weeks and they won a national title, I'd be like, okay. Right. right. Also, would you be shocked if they lost in the first two rounds? No, no. not at all. No. <laughs> right? It's the opposite of Arizona. I trust Arizona to beat teams. Arizona should beat. I, there is 
there is an immense value to having guys who have been there before. And this Duke team, unlike almost every team in the country, doesn't really have that luxury. Now, yes, they have players who have been around, Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams, Theo John. But this is going to come down to A.J. Griffin and Paulo Bancaro. And also being able to do fundamental things like guarding and inbounds in a situation where you know exactly what you need to do and what the ideal way to play it is. And you just end up following a three-pointer when three-point shooter when you're up to. On the North Carolina side of things, I would like to submit Caleb Love as at least a bench player on the all-important team. I don't know if he okay. can get the I don't know if he can get the starting point guard position because that goes to Colin Gillespie. But my goodness, when Caleb Love has a bad game, they are awful. I mean, I suppose you know I I, I kind of feel like that to be on the all important team, your team has to be good, and I'm not sold that North Carolina right. is good. Right, it's a very different. It's not because he makes them great when he plays well. Right, it's a, they need him to be good because that's the only hope they have of being a good team. It's very yeah. different. But sure, I still, I sure, think sure. he deserves. I, I would, I'm going to fight for him to be on this team because, and we talked. I mean, we talked about this with Brendan March at the beginning of the season. This was the question: Is what does Caleb Love in year two look like? What does he look like with Hubert Davis? Can mm-hmm. they get in? He has been better, especially at times he's looked good. But then there are other times where it's more of the same from last year, and you just scratch your head. And I mean, where would they have been if Brady Manick didn't go off and? hit every three-pointer known to mankind. They would have lost by 40. Yeah. (laughs) He has to be, he has to get them going. He has to move the ball. He has to score. He has to make good decisions. And too often that's not happening. And so right there, sitting right there on the bubble with Florida State. Yeah. With zero zero good wins. That is wild. Now, to be fair to them, they smoked Michigan earlier this year, and that was always supposed to be a quad one win to their, but still. Every other, right, every team, every high-profile game they've been in other than that, they've often gotten run off the court, too. They haven't been Purdue, particularly competitive. Purdue, they scored, they played really well against yes, Purdue. They they, they, Purdue they, just yeah. scored too many points. Tennessee yeah. smoked them. Alabama, Kentucky smoked them. No, they lost to Notre Dame. Miami, Florida smoked them. Wake Forest smoked them. And then Duke smoked. They they don't lose close games. No. Now, now they when they lose, they, they're not playing close games. And yeah, anyways. That's wild. It was just a perfect encapsulation of 72 hours of Duke. <sighs> so frustrated. That will drive, be, it's driving me absolutely crazy. And the other interesting part is the, the pixie dust factor of if they don't win this thing outright, that's going to gnaw at Krzyzewski forever, right? Well, like, with all due respect to Kay, figure out a way to win it once every 10 years. How about it? Because it's also, now been 10 years since they won it. That's also, I wasn't thinking about it in that context. That's a good point, too. Like you, that's allowed to eat at you, but also how about you let the 10 years that you managed right. to not win one also eat at you? But I mean, I'm true. sure, I'm sure it does. I mean, not to, not to, you know, mention that best how, when, when the conference, when you got the best team in the conference, they've like the, truly unacceptable this year. What's the worst team in the country that could win the ACC this year? That's a fun game. Like, could, could like, if, could, you, if you switched them out for Duke, like, yeah, like, like, what's the the lowest team at Kempom? Let's play, let's play the game that way. And we'll, for the sake of the situation, if you just plugged them in instead of Duke, right? Because of course, like, I guess the answer might be like an ACC team, right? That like maybe Notre Dame, who is still. 64th at Kempom and is tied for okay. I think my answer is 31. Wisconsin? Yeah. Wisconsin would absolutely win the ACC. Could Indiana win the ACC? 
I don't tr- I don't trust them to be consistent enough. That's fair. And they're right there with I mean Virginia Tech is 38th in Ken Palm. <laughs> yeah. Virginia, no, no, keep going. Forty-two, Providence. Providence could absolutely oh. win the ACC. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a Ken. Palm that's just problem. that's just that's yeah. just Ken Palm problem. Yeah, um, no, you're absolutely here, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. I'm not because the Fighting it. Porter. Mo- nah, they're thirteen. No. Then the Fighting Porter Mosers can no. win. Sorry, they can't beat. Could yeah. could could the Fighting could the Fighting um, Dana Altman's win it? Fifty-first. I mean, I think they'd be up there, but I, I'm not going that far. My you know what's wild? Providence. You know, so I keep scrolling and like, you know, Notre Dame 64th at Kempom, Miami, Florida 69th at Kempom. Duke, win the freaking ACC. I mean, they will. I say that they're going to lose another bad game in Jared. <sighs> they're the only. Okay, is Kempom having a bad year? Virginia Tech is still a, a top 40 yep. Kempom team. Yep. Auburn is also yeah. still a seventh. Yeah, that one. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, one. I'm not a big fan of Kempom this year. I'm not. What are we it. doing, Kempom? What are we doing? Come on. Come on. Come on. Shall we move to the other confusing team? Yeah, let's do it. Kansas. Also, can we talk about, I mean, talk about a team that went from like the best team in the country to, oh my lord. Maybe they just don't – maybe they just – I don't even know. Because now all of a sudden, Baylor's lost all four of their games in the last, like, month. And they got shown the door by Kentucky, by Kansas, 83-59. to 59. And this also doesn't help that Kansas just got shown the door by Kentucky, Kentucky. in their own building. <laughs> right. to the property. 83-59. And maybe what that's just confirming is that Kentucky's better than both of these teams, which I think most people would concede at this point. Would you concede that? Oh, without a doubt. Okay. All right. I, I, I assumed you would, but I will say you going to bat for Kentucky early this season has, <laughs> is, uh, is looking pretty good now as they sit at fifth in the country and, and pretty, pretty, pretty scary. Um, anyways, Kansas 83 59. This is a little less head scratching than what happened to Duke because then they went and lost at Texas and yeah. Texas on the road is still not, uh, not a fun place to play. But, but with that being said, beating the Baylor bears, the fighting Scott Drews by, 24 and it really not being that close because you you beat them by 18 in the first half and just sort of cruise the rest of the way and then going and losing to texas that's uh that's not uh not exactly the way that you want to back up a, a a statement kind of win in the big 12 against against baylor but uh what say you talk to me about how you feel about what happened to Kansas over the last 72 hours. Guys, we, he's speechless. We stumped him. We did it. I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out where I want to go first. There's so many just things about this team. To me, the moral of the story was that Texas made Kansas beat them and Kansas couldn't do it. Right? Texas didn't turn the ball over. They played good defense. They got really good performances from some of those transfers that have kind of been up and down. Timmy Allen was mm-hmm. great. Trey Mitchell was really good. Kansas's bench got outscored by 22 points. Again, a team without much of an impact coming off the bench. And that was with Joseph Jefferson scoring eight points. He plays now and hits at least one three <laughs> a game. Still didn't matter. And the other part was Courtney Ramey, smartly Chris Beard, just decided, you know what, we're just going to have him run around with a Baji. And he's not going to pay attention to anything else. He's just going to stop Abaji. And it worked because Courtney Ramey was disciplined enough to not get distracted by other things. And right. this team does not have the ability, this team being Kansas, to overcome a subpar game from Abaji when he only has 11 points and only takes seven right. shots. Because David McCormick was pretty good. Jalen Wilson had a double-double. Christian Brown scored 13 points. The other players showed up and it still wasn't enough, which like you said, this is a game you look at the schedule and you go, I'm not actually concerned in a vacuum about Kansas losing to Texas. And on the bright side, this is another good game followed up 
following a good performance by David McCormick. So there's that to look look to. And the other part of this was, I mean, Texas turned 15 Kansas turnovers and 24 points. They just didn't take care of the basketball, which sometimes happens on the road. It's just so strange that this happens right after Saturday, where all I was thinking was, this is what it looks like when everything's clicking for this team, even without Remy Martin. Dave McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, 17 and 13. Brown, Abaji, and Wilson had all, all had at least 15 and 7. Dewan Harris had seven assists. They played really good defense. And then some of those things just didn't happen against Texas, particularly the defense. And Mitch Lightfoot was a non-factor. And the other thing is, I don't know what kind of, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I'm, I'm hesitant to put a lot of stock in that Baylor win because Baylor is just very clearly not good when they're not healthy. James Akinjo was 0 for 11 from the field and didn't score. He's been mm. dealing with, with issues. LJ Cryer's not back. Flagler's banged up too. They just seem to have a formula this year and sort of one or two ways to make this work. And if something doesn't happen, the bigs get taken off the floor like against Alabama. You've got injuries. They don't shoot the ball well. Akinjo is not able to break down a defense. If one of those things isn't there, they're in trouble, which is the opposite of last year and why I love last year's team was they could beat you so many different ways. There is a good formula, but they don't have all the pieces. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to give – I mean, Kansas played terrific. There's no doubt about that. I just – I don't think that was a narrative shifting win for me because of the situation Baylor's finds itself in right now. My response is twofold. One Baylor can be completely healthy. The way Kansas played at fog on Saturday, they won that game. Yes. Completely agree. Yes. Um, The second thing I'll say is that simply Baylor last year was a historically good team. Baylor this year, is the same type of good team, and we've learned this since they haven't been healthy, that they are a a team that is good in the same context as a team that is good, that maybe gets first or second in the country, but like they're not head and shoulders above everybody else. And when they're not healthy, they're not one of the three best teams in the country, right? There's just, to put it incredibly in an incredibly elementary way, this is a normal, right? <laughs> good college basketball team, right? It needs this, it needs all the pieces, yeah. That is good when the pieces are there to plug into the system, and when not, they're not as good, which is fine. That's completely fine. But I think the things that we're learning this year is that it, we we're gaining even more of a respect for just how good that Baylor team was last year. I'm trying to tell everybody. And that's something you've been on from for a long time, but they were truly, truly elite. And in the conversation of the best teams to ever be put together in the sport. And for the first two plus months of the season, it was like, Oh my gosh, Baylor, do it again. And what we've learned in the last month or so is that, and not, not really that when they're not healthy, they, they don't have, they don't scare you the same way that, that other team did no matter what was was going on with with injuries or not and that team last year was of course apart from their COVID pause healthy for the majority of it which which helps as well but that would be how I respond to that so I will I will put stock in that Kansas win because I think Kansas beats Baylor even if Baylor is healthy and plays a good game yeah it was a very good right it was a very good Kansas performance no doubt but um but it's certainly fair to point out that that's not exactly the Baylor, the same Baylor team that we saw for the first two months of the season that was running through everybody. Is, is part of this distortion from last year where we were used to watching Gonzaga and Baylor. And so seeing Kansas and Duke struggle at times, we've, we've sort of talked about this before, but it just love heightens the level of expectations and we just kind of forget that even the best teams in the country and Purdue falls into this category too, especially for me, we just kind of mm-hmm. forget the best teams in the country sometimes don't play well. Or do you think, think that these are, these teams are actually that flawed and we're having a, 
and not not necessarily at the top because Arizona and Auburn have been and Kentucky now is they're you know they're all and Purdue has been very good as well. But that the, the, the yes, right. There are clearly some very, very good teams. It's not like this is a down year entirely, but yeah, that just some of the especially the these two blue buds and Purdue a little bit because of the expectations that they they really have been disappointing, or do you think part of that is how much of that do you think is distortion from watching what Gonzaga and Baylor did last year? Because it seems I like think, oh, we just keep harping on the negatives and then you keep accurately pointing out these are still top 10 teams in the country. <laughs> I think what it is is that, right, last year from literally the beginning of the season to yeah. the very, very end, we knew exactly who the two best teams in the country were. This year, okay, let's go through the top 10 at Kempong. And you tell me that if at one point or another it was reasonable to suggest that that's the best team in the country, okay? Gonzaga. Yeah, absolutely. Kentucky. I would say no. But But you're helping me prove my point. Because if somebody told me today that they think that Kentucky is the best team in the country, I wouldn't – I would disagree with them, but I wouldn't call them stupid. Yeah. It, certainly you can absolutely make the argument they're a top three team. Yeah. Arizona. Absolutely. Maybe not Houston, no. especially, but, but still Houston continues to win game. The AAC is just horrendous. Um, Purdue. Yep. Baylor. Yep. Auburn. Yep. Kansas. I would say yes. Villanova. There was Probably a moment. Not. There was a but, moment. But, it was fleeting. Then maybe I would have bought an argument. Generally, no. Duke? Yes. UCLA? Yes. I would have said no, but people very clearly thought so. And we haven't even gotten to Illinois. And maybe Illinois would also not quite. But my point being is that there are eight, nine teams that I I would field and at one point might have even agreed with an argument that they're the best team in the country. And last year, it was two. You could you could try to argue Baylor. You could try to argue Gonzaga. You were stupid if you tried to argue anybody else, with all due respect. And especially those people who tried to be different with Gonzaga and Illinois once the, turn, once the tournament started last year, with all due respect. It was always Gonzaga, and it was always Baylor. My point being is that there have been – we keep finding flaws or off nights with teams that at one point or another we thought were the best teams in the country. And maybe we were just too busy trying to find a different team. And Gonzaga has al- al- always been right there. And then <laughs> Auburn, of course. I mean, Auburn is also, and I think that's a small part of it as well, is that Auburn is never off. Yeah. I mean, Auburn has one double overtime loss. That's right. how close they are to being undefeated. That's how close they are to being perfect this year. And so there is a team that has never had an off night. And there are a bunch of other teams who have and Gonzaga you know, I think people were tired of talking about Gonzaga as the best team in the country anyways. So, and then they lost a couple of times. So people just right. disregarded them. Yeah. So that's how, that's what I would say is that it's a combination of, we keep finding new teams that we ask the question, is that the best team in the country? And then at some point on the back end of that, they have a bad night. And the two teams that we coined as the best team in the con- teams in the country last year, those two teams never had a bad night until Gonzaga had bad, a bad one in the national championship. And I think the other part of it too, and more specifically is, a bad first 10 minutes. Yeah. The other part of it is no matter how good Auburn is, I believe there's a mental hurdle there of right. Okay. So Duke just lost at home to a Virginia team that's been struggling this year. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Auburn wouldn't do. Now Auburn's had a couple close calls here lately, but, I think there is part of the mental hurdle to, and maybe this was to a certain extent Baylor last year for some people of uh-huh. the idea that this group of players, nobody was paying attention to at Arizona because they were ineligible for the postseason. They have a new coach and Auburn <laughs> are <laughs> the two most consistent teams in the country as opposed to the Purdue team that got all hyped up. Mike both teams were not eligible for the NCAA tournament last year. You're the two right. most consistent teams That's also good, right. Auburn, nobody was paying attention to Auburn <laughs> except for Sharif Cooper. That's a good point. They were bad <laughs> right. and ineligible. Yeah. Right. 
at right Purdue, all of the hype. Mike Krzyzewski's last team, the most heralded recruiting class in the country. Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga after what they did last season. Kansas, Baylor, can they repeat with the reloading they did? So I think that might be part of it too. Is there's a there's a mental hurdle when it's these two teams that nobody was paying attention to. Of course, people knew Auburn was going to be good. People knew Arizona had potential and Tommy Lloyd's a very good coach, but this idea of a UCLA also right coming off the final four, everybody fell in love with them. I think part of it too, is there's a mental hurdle of getting to these two teams that we were not paying attention to really are the best two, two of the best three, four teams in the country kind of thing. So I think there's sort of a frustration of why can't Duke be consistent the way that, Arizona right. and Auburn have. And my answer to part of that would be experience. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. It was a very weird 72 hours for two. Yeah. Very real blue bloods. Um, Worked out nicely for podcast purposes though. You're right. You're right. It absolutely did. Do you have any, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Only other thing I wanted to, to bring up quickly. We, we talked about a little bit before, uh, Villanova played well against UConn. Colin Gillespie got hurt. Providence is two games up in the loss column. And you know who comes to the Dunkin' Donuts Center this week? Also another... Uh, I, will, I will venture that the, the Villanova Wildcats come to the Dunkin' Donuts Center this week. And before them, it's DePaul. DePaul? Uh, uh, hey, to- hey, 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 I don't need no ricochet shots at DePaul. DePaul just went to the Centos Center. They did. And got Somehow. a W. They are inflicting bad losses on teams at this point. Yeah. All right. Right this second. Travis Steele, 2022-23 coach at Xavier. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. I would agree with you, but we'll keep an eye on that. So they're going to go into this lovely uh, – what's the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, capitalistically named arena. <laughs> sold your, out your personal arena. your personal and, and not not the sold out tickets but the sold out to corporate america arena right there, yeah there, however you want to phrase it they're gonna go into one of those so in theory providence if gillespie doesn't play and, and providence cleans up their home games this week this thing is over mm-hmm. villanova has to win this game to make it competitive Oh, and by the way, that's the 42nd team at Kempom you're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted the combination of, by the way, Providence is still here, which we've talked about them a decent amount the past couple of weeks, but yeah, Gillespie getting hurt. And it seems to be sort of unclear how serious it, it's going to end up being. Hopefully it's not too bad. And at least he's back for the NCAA tournament, Big East tournament, those kind of things. That might be the final, <laughs> the final nail in the coffin though. And the fighting Ed Coys are going to very well may waltz to a Big East regular season title. And with that, you know, but on the other side of things, this this conference is still very much up for grabs because those two teams still play twice. Yes, right. Villanova's not out of it. They just need to win both of them. Right. Now, Villanova has, played, has still has already played two more games than, than Providence. But the point is still the same, that as, as true as it is that if Providence beats them this week, that it's probably over that if Villanova goes into the, into the breakfast arena and comes out with a win that it's very much still alive. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How, if, if Colin Gillespie's career, like God forbid, if Colin Gillespie's career is over at Villanova, like if it's a worse injury than we think it is and he's just not going to, and he tries to come back, but he never is really the same. How are you going to remember Colin Gillespie's Villanova career? It's a good question. As the, I mean, I think that we've kind of talked about this before. The first thing that comes to mind is the worst of the all American caliber Villanova point guards. Right. That they just, he didn't have the same kind of team around him. Speaking of sure. this, you know what stat I heard last night? I believe, I believe I've got this right. Of the last 45 teams to win a national championship, would you like to guess how many of them had a first round draft pick? Four of the last five? 
of the last 45. Of the last 45, how many had a first round draft pick? Yeah. I'm going to go like 43. 44. 44. Okay. I yeah. believe that's what the stat I heard was. Anyway, to, to the point of Patrick Gillespie has that. Yeah. It's a weird thing because they clearly took, they've still been very good, but they that's clearly a took game. a game. I'm looking at you. So I'm just off the top of my head. Gonzaga has one. Kentucky has one. Purdue has one. Does Arizona have one? Matherin. Sure you think Matherin's a first round pick? I believe borderline so. first round. At least borderline, yeah. Auburn has one, of course. Does Kansas have one? Is Ochak Baji? Is he is he a yes. first round pick he at this point? Be. Duke has one. UCLA has one. Does Illinois have one? Is Kofi Coburn a first-round pick? I would say in, no. In, in 2022? I would say now, no. Now, in 2004, he's like the first overall pick, <laughs> Yeah. But I believe people get drafted, but second round, yeah. Anyway, continue with them. But I, I think that would be my – he was the best player on the next era of Villanova that never kind of got to where people thought they might. Uh, I think that's I think that's fair because – from a what people were expecting from him as a Villanova guard nationally, he's right there with all of the other ones. Right, he's been, right, right. He's been a preseason first team All American multiple times, and it's clearly proven how valuable he is. Right, but it's this weird combination of what I'm going to remember about the Villanova teams that were led by Colin Gillespie is that all of them weren't quite as good as I thought they mm-hmm. were going to be. Yeah, which is not really a knock on him, and maybe just a Maybe it's just a a recognition recognition that's not a word a realization of just how good some of those other right <laughs> that it's really are. hard to be the best team in the country every year right right but it's it's a weird career to try and dissect because he's I would describe him as an elite college basketball player who when he was the most important player on the team didn't play for an elite college basketball team. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, they never... But, like, but like, if he was healthy, like, if he had all of his years, because, right, he also just, we had to, he, he sat around on the sidelines and rehabbed for, you know, 10 months or whatever, right? So there's also, that's, anyways, I've, haven't thought a ton, but every time I watch them play, it's like, how am I really going to feel once he's done playing for Villanova? how I'm going to feel about his career because I'm not, uh, I'm not entirely sure, especially, but especially when you, even if it's unfairly start to put it in the conversation with guards like Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archidiakono, Mm -hmm. both of which won national championships. And I know that Colin Gillespie won a national championship, but as the starting point guard, unless Villanova does something that would really surprise me, um, I don't think Colin Gillespie will leave as, a national champion on a team that he was the most important player, or at least one of them. The other fun question is who's next? <laughs> is it uh is it is it is it little Archie Diakono? I mean he's there. I, I he is there. I've never I've never gotten yeah I've never gotten the impression right in Gillespie it was always oh that's Archie Diakono. Talk about how point. huge Chris Archie yeah he's a big, he's a big he's boy six five he's yeah. massive he and I have the same birthday hey how about that He's two years younger than me, but he and I have the same birthday, seven six two thousand. At least I'm assuming that's what these, that's what I this would, uh, number think. next to next to their name is <laughs> next to their hometown on Kempom. I'm assuming that's what it is. So that's that's another fun question: is who's next in the line of phone number point guards? But conversation for another day. Also, and and also especially because that that's just a the way that those guys have played that position, that's just not the way that the point guard position is played. Like, like there are not very many high level Colin Gillespie's that are going to come through college basketball, Mm -hmm. you know, in the sense of, right. It's just, we're moving in a different direction with the point guard. Yeah. And just to clarify DePaul Providence is scheduled. DePaul game is Saturday, Villanova Tuesday, a week from today, the 15th. I gotcha. had in my head they were that Villanova was this weekend, and then remember that Villanova is playing Seton Hall this weekend. So, yes, hopefully Gillespie. I mean, hopefully it's not too serious, and next week we get Gillespie back at something close to full strength. 
for that showdown, but look at Providence. Look at Providence. The Friars. Ed Cooley. How about that? You got anything else? I think we have covered just about everything. Big, and we just got finished with our Big 12 and Pac 12 defining series of events. And now we get four of the best, probably the top four teams in the Big 10 all playing each other tonight. Yep. It'll be good. <laughs> At least four good, of the five. Sure. Yep. Tonight, Wisconsin and Michigan State play on Big 10 Network. That's so annoying. Can we stop that? Can we stop putting big, Big 10 games on the Big 10 Network, please? Who got Illinois and Purdue play on ESPN. The early ESPN. That's game what I was Who top Kentucky and South Carolina? Uh, I got to get the SEC Kentucky love in there. Okay. Yes. I disagree, but understand. Yeah. We also have Auburn at Arkansas tonight, and that is a there's a very real chance for the Auburn Tigers to uh, to lose a game, but uh, a couple good ones later this week as well. But uh, we'll be here to talk about it. We'll we'll, we'll get through them together. As we move closer and closer to, um, you know, I'm waiting for the John Rothstein, you know, four weeks from today, we'll have a bracket. Thanks, Johnny. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we'll be back on Thursday. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on that podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days pod. Check out the pod bean. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He is also Josh, shocking, and we will see you later.